Good morning. Hey, welcome, especially if you are visiting with us this morning. Uh, welcome online. Um, hey, we are uh, three weeks into turning the page in our church's history and saying, hey, um, here is the new way that we are going to reach um, the lost and the hurting and the needy um, in our community. And um, God is already blowing up our efforts. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start our time off um, in the way that we do every time by worshiping God. Um, and so we're going to sing um, Waymaker. He's, he's the light in the darkness. And so if we remember um, that it's not us that changes hearts, it's God, and he simply calls us to be obedient to what he's, he's calling us to do, um, there's a lot of joy in uh, following his lead and, and being all in on what he's calling us to. So can we stand up together? Let's just approach the throne of God in worship with a heart that says, Father, I am yours. I want to be just like you. Here's my worship. Help me to be just like you. And let's sing this song to him. Here we go. acknowledge his presence. You are here. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Sing that to him again. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are. You are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Touching every heart, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every life. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, turning lives up. you. I worship you. You are here, oh, mending every heart. Come on, church. I worship you. I worship you. Open 
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you Isn't he so good, church? Well, as we continue to worship, we're going to sing a song next called Graves in the Gardens. I went to a funeral um, on Thursday morning, and it was one of my favorite funerals I've ever been to because I walked into it knowing that the person who, um, is di- who, who died is now alive. And they're not just alive, but they know and are with their Heavenly Father. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And so uh, there was something that the officiating pastor said to me that really um, touched me. It said, talking about the person who had deceased, um, there's, there's no more joint pain. There's no more lack of mobility in their body. They're completely free and able to move in any way that they want to. How good is heaven going to be? How good is it going to be? when we get to be fully in the presence of our Father. 
And so right after that word, we sang the song, um, Graves into Gardens. Think about how good our God is, that he takes what is dead, what was never intended to ever happen. But because of our sin and our choices, there's death in this world. But God made a way so that even after death, we can still be with him. He's so kind. He's so good. He turns graves into gardens. He turns mourning into dancing. Let's worship him.
rejoicing. Come on. Stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence drawn near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. Beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, bought with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a Father who will never let them go. Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked this path before us. He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice, church, when you cry to him. tears rejoice in the midst of suffering God is good, isn't he? And all the time. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, kiddos. You can go to your classrooms now. And uh, once you take a seat, go ahead and check out the screen. A special event that helps you make it through the holiday season after the death of a loved one. Surviving the Holidays features a video that shows you how to wisely plan your holiday season. You'll also learn how to survive holiday parties, how to handle loneliness, and you'll discover how you can gradually begin enjoying the holiday season again. To learn more, talk to the GriefShare leader at your church and visit griefshare.org forward slash holidays.
Good morning, everybody. My name is Mary, and I'm the pastor of Outreach and Care. I would like to invite you to this very special event, and I want you to know that we do have flyers out on the information table. But if you or you, someone you know has lost someone in this last year or the previous year, um, please invite them to come. We offer many tools. We offer hope. And this is a time of loneliness and a time of fear of the unknown and how things will go when you get somewhere with loved ones and you don't want to break down. But this event will give you tools and helps that will just walk you through the holidays and help things to be brighter. Thank you. Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lie a multitude of invalids, the blind, lame, and the paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me. That man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Morning, church. How we doing today? You guys are tired. How we doing today? There we go. Week three. It's week three of our all-in discipleship journey. Got like four people that are excited to be here today. You know, I have a confession to make. Um, I've been on staff here for seven years. Uh, and for five of those, I've actually been up here teaching. Uh, and out of those five years, I have asked to teach one time, and it's today. I had no idea what I was going to be teaching on, but I told Brad I want to teach during this series. And he said, okay. And then this last week, he came to me, and he knew I had a very, very full plate. And he said, do you want me to teach? I said, no, this one's mine. So I'm warning you. You're in for it, all right? Week three 
of this journey together. Guys, in week one, Pastor Brad, he got up here and he talked through really just the primary goal of this journey together. And it is this, that Christ would have first place in everything. That Christ would have first place in everything. And then last week in week two, he got up and we looked at the story of John the Baptist. And we looked at these words that came from John's mouth. He said, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. Church, this journey is far more than a campaign to raise funds. It's a journey about your heart. That Christ would have first place in everything. That as a church, we would be a people that sees less and less and less of ourselves and more and more and more of him. Who's ready for week three? All right. Uh, like I said, this week has been uh, a little, little crazy, right? It's been kind of a doozy. Uh, and so uh, I finished this message at 2.30 this morning. Um, so if I get a little loud and a little loopy, you understand why, all right? Here we go. John chapter 5, if you brought your Bibles, if you've got your phone, open up to insidescc.org. There you can take notes, you can uh, submit a prayer request, you can take a next step. Uh, it's a phenomenal hub that you can go for next steps here uh, at SEC. John chapter 5, verses 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So we've got a few things few observations, right, just to kick us off, right? First off, Jesus is in Jerusalem again, right? We are in John chapter 5. If you look at chapter 4, chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter 1, Jesus has been all over the place. He's been in Jerusalem. He's been uh, up north. He's been in Galilee. He's been in Samaria. He's been in all of these different places, and he has been traveling a lot. And so we kick off the very beginning of saying Jesus is in Jerusalem again. And it says the whole point that he's there is for this feast of the Jews. Now, uh, there was several feasts that happened during the year. This was most likely for Passover or uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Okay? This was a massive Jewish festival. But before he goes to this celebration, before he goes to this festival, Jesus makes a point to go to this pool. He doesn't have to go. But he chooses to go to a place filled with blind, lame, paralyzed individuals. Now the second observation, this one is uh, not quite as out there as the first. I don't know how many of you are reading in your Bibles and you realize that it goes from verse 1 to verse 2 to verse 3 to verse 5 to verse 6. Right? Here's the deal. Your Bible is not broken. Okay? Uh, John, who wrote this, um, he is not in preschool. He knows how to count. Okay? The reason that verse 4 is not in many of your Bibles is because 
Today, we have over 5,000 different manuscripts, different remnants of manuscripts of the original letters, the original documents that form the New Testament that we read from, okay? Uh, Believe it or not, English was not spoken in Rome in the time of Christ. It was a language called Koine Greek. And so these documents that were written many, 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 many thousands of years ago have been translated in to English so that you and I can hear from Jesus, so we can learn who he is, so we can learn more of his character, just like it's been translated into many other languages. The very first English translation was called the Tyndale Translation, and it was actually put together in the late 1400s and early 1500s. And at that point, the number of manuscripts that they were working from was significantly smaller, okay? In the past 600 years, archaeologists have found significantly more, technology has advanced, and now we have more copies and more documents of the Greek New Testament than any other ancient text in the world. So today, if you pick up the NIV, you pick up the ESV, the NASB, all of these modern-day translations, and you look, verse 4 is missing. But if you go to the King James Version, it's in there. Right? Now, uh, I point this out, one, because I don't want you to think your Bible is broken, and two, uh, I think it gives us a little bit of context of what's going here. All right? uh, verse 7, it says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. So here's verse 4 out of the King James. It says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. It's believed that this type of uh, verbiage was actually written in the columns of some of these manuscripts, right? So as they compared 5,000 of these documents and they see this in very few of them, They're like, yeah, this probably wasn't a part of the original text. But because earlier translators didn't have as many versions, they included it in there. My third observation is this. At this pool, there's a large crowd of folks who are sick, injured, or paralyzed. The Greek uses this word, zeros, meaning shrunken, wasted, or withered. There is a multitude of shrunken, wasted, and withered people sitting by this pool in hopes that they will win a race to get into it first, that they may be healed. This is a big deal in this story. And what's interesting is a little later on in verse 13, it actually says the crowd was so large that Jesus left. There were so many people there that Jesus left. Again, very important. So you have, I'm guessing, right, hundreds of folks who are sick, as well as caretakers that are there. What on earth is flying on me? Um, Caring for these people and waiting to help individuals get into the water. So before going to this festival, Jesus shows up on the scene where there is a multitude of sick people, and he chooses to heal one. One. Verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, 
he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. All right, this passage highlights a few things that we need to work through in uh, relation to Jesus, right? The first is that Jesus had a lot of knowledge, right? This talks about the knowledge of Jesus. It highlights the compassion of Jesus, and it highlights the power of Jesus. You know, it begins highlighting the knowledge of Jesus. It says that Jesus knows this man's situation. It says when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there, a long time. Before Jesus ever lays eyes on him, he knows his story. It's beautiful. He's paralyzed and unable to walk. He's been unable to walk for 38 years. He's been at this pool for a very long time. And he's been at this pool without anyone willing to help him in. You see, to know Christ is an unusual relationship because he fully knows you. What other relationship do you have like that? He fully knows you. He knows everything that you have ever done. He knows every feeling that you have ever had. He knows every thought that has run through your brain, including the ones you're glad nobody knows about. He knows every word that has passed through your lips that he knows you so well is incredibly precious. How often do you sit in awe of the fact that God knows you that well? That in your suffering, in your pain, in your circumstances, in your state, that he knows what you're going through. He knows where you're at. He knows how you feel. He knows your condition. He knows you. Then we see this passage highlight the compassion of Jesus. And this is such great news. This is amazing news in light of the fact that Jesus knows us. Jesus chose to go to this pool. He doesn't stumble upon it. He goes to this pool the same way that he went to Samaria in John chapter 4. If you go back one chapter from where we are this morning. Jesus leaves Jerusalem and is in uh, Judea. He's heading to Galilee, all right? So he is in the southern region of this territory that he kind of does ministry in, and he's heading to the far north part of this region, 70 miles. They didn't have cars then. Think through that one. You know, if I was going somewhere, I'd want to get there, and I'd want to get there quick. But Jesus isn't me. He stops near Samaria in this town called Sychar. And why? Why does he go there, right? He's got somewhere to be. Why does he stop here? To meet a woman at a well. She's a Samaritan. She's viewed as inferior by the Jews. She's had five husbands and she's currently sleeping with her current boyfriend, right? This is why he went to Samaria. For one person. So he could interact with this woman so that she would be changed, 
forever. And it says that she is the reason that there was a revival in Samaria where many folks came to have faith in Jesus. Jesus leaves Sychar and he goes to Galilee and he meets with a man from Capernaum. They're in a town called Cana. It's about 15 miles from where Capernaum is and this man comes to him and says, Jesus, my son is sick. Jesus says, go home, he's better. And Jesus healed his son from 15 miles away. He has compassion for this woman. He has compassion for this man and his son. And after this, he goes 70 miles back to Jerusalem to a pool for one man. See, Jesus knows what he's doing. He's after people. He came to seek and to save the lost. He's not into crowds. He's into individuals like you. What's beautiful is he has the capacity to do even more now that he's in heaven. This is why he says, it's better for me that I go to heaven so that the spirit, so that the comforter would come. Why? So that the comforter can fill us all at the same time while ministering to us individually. Jesus cares for individuals. And so Jesus knows this man's story. He knows what's going on with him, but he asks if he'd like to be healed. Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when this water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up. And Jesus had a lot of compassion for that. Nine times in the Gospels, this word spelankanon, right? That's a fun one, right? Nine times in the Gospels, this word spelankanon is used, right? It's the Greek. It literally translates your innards, your bowels, your guts, And in these nine times, it's used in relation to the way that Jesus was moved with compassion. That he was filled with so much compassion, he could feel it inside. His guts were filled with compassion. That's our Jesus. He is easily moved. He is not hard-hearted. He is soft. Hebrews calls him a sympathetic high priest. He's familiar with what we go through. He's familiar with our temptations. He knows what you face because he's been there. He has compassion for you. And we see it with this man. Because this man gives zero evidence in faith in Jesus. He makes no profession of faith. He gives no recognition of who Jesus is. He is totally disqualified as far as faith goes. He has one qualification He has a massive need, and he's had it for a really, really long time. This story is about an individual. This story is about our community. A lot of people in our our community that they make no profession of faith in Jesus but they have a massive need and they've had it for a very, very long time. 
So not only does Jesus know everything about you, but he has compassion for you. How beautiful is this? The God that created you, the God that we've rebelled against, he knows everything about you and he has compassion for you. Who does that? He does. Jesus healing this paralytic, it's not a religious thing. This isn't even a faith thing. This is just raw compassion from Jesus. And lastly, this passage, it highlights the power of Jesus. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. I love these two words, at once. This man's been paralyzed for 38 years and at once he stood up and he walked. Cyrus, withered, wasted, shrunken, no more, healed. That's our Jesus. He wasn't healed enough to get up and go to physical therapy. No, he was healed. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in that place. There are so many people there that Jesus heals this man. He's able to get up, and he's able to get lost in the crowd. Jesus heals this man, calls him to walk, and then vanishes. Jesus has no intention to heal this man physically, only to abandon him spiritually. Verse 14. It says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. I love this. This man doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds him. He pursues you. Jesus finds this man and he has a very clear message. I made you well and here's why. Stop sinning. My aim in healing your body is about healing your soul. The issue in the healing is holiness. Right? There's a multitude of invalids. There is a crowd of sick, injured, and disabled and Jesus heals one. And then finds him and tells him the reason that he healed him was so that he would be holy. Guys, Jesus came into the world the first time to primarily deal with sin. When Jesus came, he came to wage war against the worst thing that humanity has ever dealt with in sin. And yeah, he healed some. And he pointed to what is to come. A place where we will never experience death and sorrow. A place that has no room for addiction, that has no room for depression and sickness. But for now, he came to deal with sin. 
Because the issue in the healing is holiness. And Jesus says to this man, you know what, I've given you a gift. And it was free. It didn't cost you anything and you weren't good enough for it. But I chose you freely to give it to you. Now live in that power and stop sinning. This is a bold warning. Jesus tells this man, stop sinning that nothing worse may happen to you. You want to know what's worse than 38 years as a paraplegic? An eternity of torment. That's bold. Jesus doesn't necessarily care about the immediate need as much as he cares for the eternal need. The issue in the healing is holiness. Guys, our aim in healing our community and bringing hope and healing to our community, right? That's not the end goal that we just meet immediate needs and leave people be. That would be cruel. We will be a both-and church. We will not be forced to love people in their immediate need and not care for their souls. To care for somebody's body, but not care if that soul comes to Christ, it's the most unloving thing we could do. There are people in our community that will not want what we have to offer. There will be people in our community that want help with an immediate need, but they want nothing to do with Jesus. But if we build a preschool and the gospel isn't part of it, we're wasting our time. If we set up a shop and we focus specifically on building furniture with no mention of Jesus, all we've done is made a bunch of sawdust. We purchase a home for women to escape abuse and addiction and whatever hurts they may have. And not one of them makes a decision to trust Christ. We have wasted your money and we have wasted our time. The issue in the healing is holiness. The primary goal of this journey is that Christ would have first place in everything. That he would have first place in a preschool. That he would have first place in our student ministry. That he would have first place in a shop here in Shelbyville. That he would have first place in a counseling center. That he would have first place in a women's home. That he would have first place in our church and in our hearts. Because the issue healing is holiness. You know, this journey together, we kind of have these three legs or these three pillars for it, right? And the first is that we would be all in on our relationships with Jesus. The second is that we would be all in on family ministry. And the third is that we would be all in on meeting needs in our community. And I tell you this, the first one is the most important. That we would be all in on our relationship with Jesus and I want to share with you guys an amazing story of how that has played out in the life of Mike Burton. Check out the screen. I felt 
kind of unwanted and out of place at a very young age, and that led to me starting to drink. By the time I was in junior high, I was a full-pledged alcoholic. Uh, I drank daily and drank excessively. And as that progressed, then it turned into using of drugs also, and uh, that continued throughout my life at a very rapid rate. Miraculously, I was always able to hold a job down, but other than that, I was totally in ruin. Did what I wanted to, and it didn't matter to me who you were. I had lived a very cold, cruel life, and I did that for many, many years. At uh, 21, I got married the first time. That was uh, that was a catastrophe from day one. Then uh, there was a couple of more marriages in there that was um, not good. And again, most of that was because of me, because of who I was and what I was, attitude, behavior, and because of the addictions. I got into a lot of trouble with the with the law and the court systems, and the judge gave me an opportunity to go uh, to a place in West Lafayette called New Directions. It was explained to me that if I completed that program successfully and I showed that I was sincere about it, that would keep me out of prison. The judge at that time, he said, I don't think you understand what I'm saying, and he wrote something on a little piece of paper and slid it across the court bench there to me, and he said, read that, I think that'll help you to understand, and it said 22 years. I knew at that time I didn't want that, but I didn't know what to do. So I agreed to go to New Directions, and it was, it was, that was a great place. Uh, it was a hardcore place. I completed that program. That was uh, the start of my uh, progress in life. Nineteen years ago, I got married to Lisa. Deep down, I was still that bitter, angry, lost person. This really affected our, our marriage, and one day, Lisa told me, she said, can't live with you anymore. And I didn't, I didn't say I was going to divorce you. She said, I can't live with you the way you are right now. And I asked her if there was anything I could do. She said, yeah. She said, you know the church I go to? And I said, yeah. She said, they got counselors there. You need to go talk to them. I came here to SCC. I, I met with Mary and Maury. We had a quite lengthy talk. Mary spoke up and she said, when you leave here, you get in your car and you go out there when you start to pull on the highway, if you'd get hit and get killed, she said, I kind of think you think you would go to heaven. And she said, I'm not the judge, but she said, with what little bit I know, she said, I would kind of maybe doubt that. It was just something about that that was really, it really hit hard because of Mary and Maury's training. They asked me if I wanted to do something about that. They explained the sinner's prayer to me, but I couldn't even, I couldn't even say it. Maury asked me if, he, if I wanted him to help me. And he'd say a couple words, and then I would repeat them. There was a change 
immediately. The Lord came over me and I could, I could actually see things clearer than I'd ever seen probably in my whole life. I continued with counseling. Lisa come back home. We were able to continue with our marriage and my life was really good. The church blessed me with helping me go through Rod and Staff Biblical Counselor training and started counseling with people. A very good friend of mine, son, was in jail, and he knew that I was doing the counseling things, and uh, he came and he, he asked me, he said, uh, do you think there's any way you can talk to my son? And I went in, and of course there was other people there that was uh, going in to minister to him also. The jailer come out, and uh, he looked at me, and I said, well, I'm here, and I mentioned his name, and he goes, oh, well, he's in here. So he opened the door and said, there you go, and uh, I walked in, and walked right into the middle of the cell block and uh, that was a little bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting that. We sat down and started talking and things and went back the next week and a couple of other guys wanted to sit and talk with us and uh, it just it just kind of went from there and some of the other blocks was asking if I'd come in and talk with them. That's that's how I got started in, in, the, in the jail ministry. God allows me to be part of and to witness these brothers of mine uh, making that decision to come to Christ, to be able to be part of that, to see somebody that is given up totally on, on life and and life is given totally up on them. Society has totally rejected them. In most cases, they've lost any and all of their family connections. Can see them coming up from that is, is just, it's just huge. I am fortunate enough to be able to, to witness that and make that walk with them. Mike Burton is supposed to be baptizing me, and uh, I think that's really cool. I actually met him when I was in jail. He happened to just come in one day, you know, walk straight up, introduce myself, and that first day, like, we had a big talk. The Lord put it on his heart to say a whole bunch of stuff to me, and then when I got out, he continued to work with me. There was many times that he didn't give up on me when I had already given up on myself. I got nothing but respect for that man. issue of Mike's healing was holiness. Jesus saved him from his addiction, but that wasn't enough. He wanted his heart. And so he used all sorts of circumstances in Mike's life to draw him to himself. One of the coolest parts of this story that we read today is the meaning of the word Bethesda. It's Aramaic for house of mercy. A multitude of 
invalids is sitting around a house of mercy hoping to be healed. Guys, Mike Burton operates as a pool of Bethesda every time he enters the jail, but it hasn't always been that way. Mike didn't want to be healed. Mike went to recovery because it was a better option than spending 22 years in prison. He literally said, I didn't know what to do, but I knew I didn't want that. And I can't, can't blame you, right? And after that, Mike still didn't want to be healed. But he went to counseling for fear that his fourth marriage would end in divorce. So Mike comes to SCC, to Shelbyville Community Church, where he meets with Mary and Maury. Mike comes to a modern-day pool of Bethesda, a house of mercy, and he encounters Jesus here. Why? Because Mary told Mike that if he got on the highway, got into a crash and died, that he wasn't going where he thought he would. It's a pretty bold warning. Reminds me of the warning that Jesus gave this invalid after healing him. You see, Mary cared about Mike's immediate need, but she cared more for his eternal need. Guys, Shelbyville Community Church has been bringing hope and healing to the community for 26 years. This isn't something new that Jesus is calling us to. This isn't some new revelation. We've been in this business for the last quarter century. The message isn't changing, but the methods are. To be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. I don't know how many of you realized who was in the tank with Travis and Mike. We've got a photo from that day. Who's that in the right Who is that? It's Mary. Because Mary was a pool of Bethesda for Mike, he encountered Christ. And because Mike was a pool of Bethesda, Travis encountered Christ. Because Mary was a pool of Bethesda, Travis encountered Christ. Christ. Church, your investment will go on and on and on and on and on. It is not a waste. How cool is it that Mary is in the tank with Mike and with Travis? Because God is at work in ways that we don't even know. After first service, I stood down here with Mike Burton. And I gave him a big hug and told him how proud I was of him and how much I loved him and how much of a superhero he is in our community. And a gal walked up to him and said, hey, here's my name. I'm a defense attorney. Tell me about what you do in jail. We are to be pools of Bethesda in our community, gathering places where people are extended mercy, where the gospel is preached, and where people find hope and healing, but not just for this side of heaven.
After healing this man, Jesus called him to pick up his mat and walk. Something that for 38 years was impossible. And at once, he stood up and obeyed. Church, what is he calling you to? What's he calling you to do? It's time to put down the excuses and it's time to obey. You know, here's the reality, right? Here is the reality of our community. This is why we're getting involved. Because there will be a multitude of people who are fighting generational cycles of poverty, abuse, addiction, and injustice. And we're going to go after them one at a time. There will be a multitude of people that have to confront that their parents, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, and their extended family that they were wrong. That the way that they live their life is not the best way to live their life. That the way that they were raised is not the way to raise kids. There will be a multitude of people that have to learn a new way of life, a new way of coping, a new way of getting help, a new way of providing for themselves. There will be a multitude of people that need healing from the mindset that those people are bad people. The issue in the healing is holiness. God has saved you from something, and he's saving you to something. What is that? What is that? I don't know if you've ever thought through this, but when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were two individuals hanging alongside of them, and they happened to be criminals. And after one of them makes a profession of faith in Jesus, Jesus says, today you will be in paradise with me. Why? Because Jesus sees this as more than the worst thing that we've ever done. Church, there are people in our community that we have to see as more than what they've done. There are people that need saving, not just from their immediate needs, but for eternal needs. Because when we meet immediate needs, it opens the door to meet eternal needs. This is why we're opening a preschool. This is why we're opening a shop. This is why we're opening a women's home. This is why we're opening a counseling center. So that we can meet immediate needs that will open the door to eternal needs. Why? So that Christ would have first place in everything. To be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. You guys in on that? Every single one of us is sinful. It just so happens that some people's sin lands in behind bars and some people's sin doesn't. Whoever sins can cast the first throw. And I don't see any of us throwing rocks. 
you have been healed for holiness. So go and sin no more. The Jesus that knows you, that has compassion for you, that has power, this is what he's calling you to. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you know us. That you know more about us than we do. Jesus, thank you for your compassion towards us. That your soft heart has made a way for us. Jesus, thank you for your power that through you all things are possible. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that brings hope and healing to our community. I pray that you will never let us settle in meeting immediate needs only, but that we would always be bold with the gospel. That as we create places in our community where folks can receive mercy, that they would seek more than just physical healing. Jesus, I ask that you would save our city, that you would heal families entrenched in poverty, that you would break the chains of addiction, that you would heal the bruises of abuse, that you would shine the light on injustice, that you would remove hard hearts towards those people, that you would have first place in everything. As we respond um, today, um, I'm going to leave the preaching to Craig, but I want to give you one thought. There's a difference between doing what we should and doing things because it's who we are. And I think if we have any hope to fulfill in our community what we want, where people aren't just being saved on this side of heaven, um, but for eternity then the right answer, the right way to do it is that we become like our Father rather than just trying to do the things we think our Father would do or what the church leaders are telling us, we become more like Him. And then at that point, we, we just can't help but do those things. And that's the way anyways, right? That's the way it should be. And so we're going to sing this song that we haven't sang in a long time as a church. It's called Take My Heart. And... Uh, we're going to sing holiness is what I long for, it's what I need, and it's what you want from me. And so I would challenge you that your posture during this song would be this open-handed, Papa, I want to be just like you. It's holiness that I need. It's holiness that I long for because I want to be just like you. Papa, I want to be faithful just like you're faithful. Help me to be just like you. It's what I long for. Righteousness. Papa, I want to be just like you. Change my heart. Here it is. Change my mind. Change my will. I want to be just like you. So let's respond in that way. You can give of your um, treasures during this time as well, however the Lord um, leads you to respond. Um, but let's offer our hearts to him first um, today as we respond to, um, yeah, the, the message and the challenge that Craig left us with. So let's stand up and worship.
church faithfulness 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 is what I long for faithfulness is what I just like you. Papa, we want to be just like you. 
So, God, we embrace the hard work. We just say, have your way. Take our fish and our loaves and multiply them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Hey, as always, if you need prayer, come on up. And if not, we'll see you next weekend. God bless.